Welcome to the Money Rules Podcast, where we tackle your personal financial matters with leading financial advisors. Your host, Buitumelon Zorko. Many of us have employee benefits that we don't pay too much attention to after we've signed our employment contracts. The fact that the contributions for these are deducted before we get our salaries makes it even easier to forget them. But as you prepare your finances for the new year, it's important to have a look at these to see how they fit into your overall portfolio. Hi, I'm Bidu Melo, and in this episode, I'm joined by Alka Brink, who is a wealth advisor at PSG Wealth. She's going to give us a refresher on some of the benefits that you may have as part of your package, as well as tips on how to optimize these in 2023. Welcome, Alka. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you for your time. Alka, could you please give us a rundown of some of the benefits companies usually offer their employees? Yes, of course. I think, as you mentioned, when we start a new occupation or, or those first few weeks when you're going through the whole process of completing millions of documents and making decisions, I think we're all guilty that we don't really concentrate on what benefits we have and we never really revisit that. And I think this is actually such a valuable component of most portfolios and it's important to understand what the company offers because it makes a big part of, of the rest of your financial planning and your portfolio. So normally if a company offers quite comprehensive employee benefits. It would consist out of three different components. So the first one is medical aid, having some form of medical aid either through the company directly or in your own capacity. And that can also include gap cover. Together with that, then there would be risk cover consisting out of different things. And this is different for for different employers, but mainly it can consist out of life cover, severe illness cover, disability cover, income protection, as well as funeral cover. So these can become more or less comprehensive depending on what the company offers. And then lastly, there would be a retirement fund, which can be either a pension or a provident fund that you can contribute to. Alka, can employees change the default fund they are invested in if another portfolio better suits their investment strategy? Definitely. I think when it comes to your investment portfolio side of the employee benefits, this is the most underutilized benefit, I think, in terms of the bigger scheme of things. I think a lot of individuals tend to forget that they actually have a retirement fund at work should your company offer this, and you can really make it part of your investment strategy and your planning. So firstly, what's kind of great is that your contributions that go to your retirement fund are deducted before you earn your income. So there's an additional tax benefit also, as this is basically basically decreases your taxable income. So it's actually quite good saving a substantial amount in your retirement fund and then knowing that you can choose the strategy. So there would always be a default strategy chosen for the group. Normally with employers, it works on what they call a life stage principle. And it just means that as a younger person, you would automatically be invested more aggressively. And as you near retirement, automatically your portfolio switch more conservatively. This is not necessarily always the case, so it's important to know what portfolio you're invested in and to change it if needed. As with any investment portfolio, it doesn't necessarily always have to stay the same. So this does need to be reviewed as the world is changing if you're still in an appropriate fund for your holistic portfolio. And when reviewing your personal risk benefits, is it important to factor in the company-provided ones as well? And what should you do if you find there are duplications? This is quite important because I think as we change occupations or change employers, we don't always 
match this is what we have structured in our private capacity so uh, as you mentioned there can be duplications or it can be that the benefits at work are completely sufficient and comprehensive and maybe you can even look at, at cancelling something in your private capacity so firstly regarding risk benefits with an employer there's a great benefit to this that it's much cheaper than structuring insurance in your personal capacity and the reason for that is this is that the the premium that is paid is basically calculated on the whole group of people, especially if you're a bit of a old, if you're a bit older or maybe ill or anything like that. The, the average costings on the group will be done on on everyone. So if there's a, a younger group, for example, or younger people working in the company, this actually benefits you. So so the costing is much less than in private capacity, and then. What's important to take into account, and this is mainly to do with income protection. If you have a monthly income protector, there you need to be careful of not over-insuring as you, you will have the risk of insurers aggregating this and maybe not paying out at all. So you are allowed to insure up to 100% of your net income. So normally, income protection is structured at 75% of income, but you can technically do 100% of net income as it pays out tax-free. But it's important to ensure that you don't have two in place. So maybe not having one in place in your private capacity, that's maybe 75% of net income and having one at the, at the company, because then you have a risk of, of not getting a payout. So there I would just um, review that. And just review the detail of it as well. It might be, for example, that your one at work has a waiting period of three months, for example, but the one in your private capacity has a one-month waiting period. So maybe they can complement each other. And you maybe just you either need to cancel something in your own capacity if you over-insure it, or you just need to decrease it. So they can definitely work with an advisor to just do the calculations of what you need, but. I would definitely amend the ones in my private capacity. Also out of a cost-saving principle that you can rather use that premiums that you are, are paying towards the insurance, towards your retirement. You actually just touched on cost as well. Is it worth doing a cost comparison for your risk benefits? Definitely. I think, as I mentioned, the group benefits are much cheaper. And when it comes to the, especially the life cover on a group, most groups offer the opportunity that you can increase your life cover also on the group scheme. So there would, for example, be a default amount. You would have three or four times your annual income life cover, and you can flex it up to 10 times or 12 times annual cover. So doing a cost comparison where you compare what would, what would life cover, for example, cost as an individual compared to if you were to increase your cover on the group and rather cancel the cover in your own capacity, I would definitely... Um, advise doing that or, or getting an advisor to help you with the cost comparison. But in most cases, it would work out much better to, to rather do it on the fund. So it's a good exercise to do. With the end of the tax year coming up in February, how can you then optimize your annual tax benefit on your company retirement fund? So when you look at your retirement fund portfolio, this can consist out of more than one thing. It can, for example, be your fund that you have at work. And if you maybe in your private capacity have a retirement annuity structure, so you can look at the combination of everything to, to really benefit from your annual benefit, your annual tax benefit, which is 27.5% of your taxable income, up to a maximum of 350,000 rands a year you can claim back from SARS. 
So you are allowed, let's say you don't have something in your own capacity and you only have your retirement fund at work, you are allowed to make additional voluntary contributions into your fund. So I would calculate what are you still allowed to do for this tax year in terms of, of getting a deduction and perhaps consider adding another lump sum before the end of February and at least getting that tax benefit as well. Okay, some companies offer employees share incentives. How should you factor these into your overall investment portfolio? That's a very good question. I think this is quite important when it comes to, to having a share option. Looking at how it fits into your diversification strategy in your portfolio. So firstly, mostly with an with a individual that has this option, you're very exposed to one share. So this is quite important in the bigger scheme of things, I think, to see how it fits into your portfolio and, and it becomes even more important to diversify in the rest of your portfolio because um, even if it's a, a very well-performing share and it's a great investment to have, you do need to take into account that you're very exposed to it if you have one share. So I would just advise ensuring you're, you're well-diversified um, holistically in the rest of your portfolio. And together with that, it's important to understand the tax implications um, with the share options, because that's not always explained very well when you should leave the company, either resignation or retirement, and you want to, of course, sell off these shares. You don't necessarily have to sell them always, depending on, on what the scenario is, but um, at some point, you're going to want to, to sell the shares, and it's important to understand how it's taxed, because it's not, for example, just a, a capital gains tax reaction. Um, it can actually um, be taxed on an income tax level because it's basically a benefit that the company pays you. So that's quite important to just understand the tax implications around it as well. And how should one handle their medical aid, risk benefits, retirement funds and share incentives when resigning or retiring from their company? All these different components that your company would have, the, the main important thing is that a lot of these things need to be taken into private capacity when you leave should it be resignation or retirement. So the most important ones in terms of timeline would be your medical aid and your risk benefits because you don't want to be without cover. So that's quite important to ensure that you do it correctly immediately. So with the medical aid, you basically just sign a document that changes the bank details to your private bank details. But that's quite important to, to really ensure you do it immediately so that there's not a month that you're not um, paying your premium towards your medical aid. And regarding the risk benefits, how it how it works, for example, your life cover and income protection and all of this, for 30 days from your last contractual day, you will have cover. So even if you have not um, signed an application form to take this over, so it's called a continuation benefit. It basically just means you take it over in your private capacity. And there's quite a, a good benefit regarding this option is that in most cases, and that's actually mainly the rule, there would be no medical underwriting required. So it's not as if you're taking out new insurance and you go through a full medical. If you do a continuation option, you just complete the application form, but you don't have to do a medical. There are, of course, exceptions when when a medical is requested, but in principle, you don't have to do one, which is really a great benefit. If you, for example, have a bit of a health concern, or let's say you've had an injury before and and you would, if you had to take out normal cover, you would most probably get a loading on your premium or an exclusion, where in this scenario you will not. So it's a good way of getting clean cover. And yeah, but basically just to stay within that 30 days that you have cover. So to ensure you put it in place 
as quickly as possible again so that you're not um, without governance. Um, regarding the, the investment components, it would be depending on if, whether you're retiring or resigning, of course, the reinvestment options will be different. Um, if you're now resigning, for example, everything uh, sorry, if you're retiring, for example, everything needs to be restructured in a way that you can now start earning an income from this. Resigning works a little bit differently in most cases that we would ideally just reinvest these different investments in your private capacity so that you can just continue with the investment. But moving the shares either to just your private capacity, if it's a share that you still want to keep in place, you can. Um, depending on what it is, I, I would recommend doing an analysis at, at that stage of the share and deciding if you want to sell it or not. And then together with that, of course, the retirement fund needs to be moved to your private capacity and making sure you're choosing an appropriate product that there's no tax implication. So you do have the option technically when you resign to access your retirement fund, which is definitely not something I recommend, but just making sure you, you transfer it to an approved product um, that won't have a tax implication, which would either be a preservation fund or a retirement annuity or possibly a new fund at a new employer. And they, it's just important, um, let's say, for example, you have a provident fund, it needs to be similar at the new company. If it's, for example, a provident moving to a pension or the other way around, it will have a tax implication. So just knowing where to transfer the funds to make it as tax-friendly as possible and, and just aligning it with your strategy again in terms of how it fits into your investment portfolio. Elka, just one more question. When trying to make changes to these benefits that you have, would HR be your first point of contact or would you have to contact the provider directly? Normally, HR or payroll um, would definitely be the first go-to person. With larger companies, they sometimes have a individual that's head of benefits. So depending on, on how large your company is, in many scenarios, they would then refer you to the advisor and the advisor on the group will be able to assist you with this. You can also speak to your personal financial advisors. They would have the knowledge of how to do this and at least know to contact. But in terms of, for example, making a change to the fund or um, a change to if you, for example, want to add an additional contribution before the end of the tax year, best starting point would be HR. One important thing that, that wasn't a, um, a question here, but I just want to add as well that a lot of people tend to forget, but to ensure also with all these benefits that your beneficiaries are updated. So it's very important in terms of firstly the retirement fund and if you would have life cover at work to ensure that you have, firstly, that you have beneficiaries nominated and secondly, that it is updated. So legislation changed recently where if you don't have someone nominated, the benefit would go to your estate, which is really not ideal. Normally, what would have happened before this change is that the trustees would sit together and they would try to determine who your dependents are if you were if you didn't nominate someone. But that changed now, so it's quite important to ensure that you have a, a an updated beneficiary if you perhaps went through a divorce or anything like that. I don't think you want to to give your benefits to an ex-spouse, so make sure you update this often. All right, thank you so much for joining us on this episode, Alka. That was Alka Brink, who is a wealth advisor at PSG Wealth. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Money Rules Podcast. To listen to more, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates. Money Rules.
Moneyweb, Money. your trusted source for business and investment insights.